Hello and welcome to the Seems Legit Podcast, hosted by your favorite craft beer drinking, whiskey sipping, bourbon appreciating, sushi eating, steak craving, speedo wearing, tell like it is, poker playing guitarist, the dude himself, the dude Sonny D. I want to thank you all so much for tuning into this episode of the Seems Legit Podcast. If you aren't already doing so, please follow me on both Twitter and Instagram at the dude Sonny D. All right, we are joined today with a very uh, special guest. Well, all my guests are very special, so I just wanted to try and seem a little official by saying that, and now I sound a little weird by saying official. I don't know. It's the stir craziness, I tell you. But anyway, we are joined today uh, by my buddy Nick. Uh, he's phoning in. Uh, we are keeping our social distances. We are being responsible, but we have Nick phoning in today uh, to talk with us. So, all right, so we've got Nick here. Nick, how you doing? I'm happy to be back. It's been a long and busy week, but I'm excited for the weekend and finally getting a chance to power down and relax and recharge my batteries a little bit. So how are you doing there, bud? Not too bad hanging in there. Yeah, it was a weird week. It was it was both a long and short week for me simultaneously, it felt like. It felt like some days got away, it felt, but I guess that's just part of this whole thing. But anyway, I am glad to have you back on this show. Uh, I think last episode we talked about hockey uh, that I had you on for. I think we did one of those kind of those NHL and NBC power ranking poll type things. So I think there was another one here that we could follow up with today. Um, but I think rather than talk about each one of these points, there's 10 po- you know different th- points they've listed. I think we can kind of group them together if you're cool with that. Yeah, that makes sense. Ten of ten topics is uh, that's a lot of things for me to keep track of in my mind. Yeah, that's a lot of things for for me to uh, for the fans to listen to too. Like, I feel bad for the listeners for being like, "Fuck, they're gonna discuss all ten of those points." No, so I think what we can do is we can group them. So let me go through them first, and then fig- and then there's a way to group these together. So. There's a bunch of point ones. So the point ones are Bobby Orr's. These are all single season accomplishments. I should I should clarify that. So they have Bobby Orr's 139 points. And to clarify, Bobby Orr was a legendary defenseman, Stanley Cup winning defenseman, actually scored the Stanley Cup winning goal. Um, for any Don Cherry fans out there, he would always refer to him as the greatest player to play the game. Um, and it was funny because he always made sure to stress that. It's like it was like his little kind of almost dig at Wayne Gretzky and Gordie Howe and Lemieux. He'd always be the greatest player to play the game, Bobby Orr. Always, every fucking time. Yeah, like, and he would always, and he'd always, he could never just introduce Bobby Orr. He'd be like, kids, if you want to learn how to play defense, go no, look no further than at the greatest player to play the game, Bobby Orr. Like, it would always, he always had to have the intro. It was like, man, but he loved Bobby like Bobby was a son to him. Like, he really, like, there was a genuine, like, parenting love there. Like, he loved Bobby Orr. And, uh, generation of hockey i mean it makes sense he was a great player played forever he coached bobby Orr. he coached bobby he coached bobby like he knew he was there when bobby broke into the league but anyway so there the point ones we have the 139 by bobby Orr. we have 160 points in 60 games so not even 160 points in a season but 160 points in 60 games by mario lemieux we've got 128 points by nikita kucherov and, um, yeah, that's it for points. Um, so now one thing they've done on this thing is they've kind of included some more modern era kind of things. Like these, uh, they, they included some that's like, let's put into perspective that in today's day and age, 
what we the the standards by which we can hold players in a way has decreased because of how difficult it's not because players have gotten worse it's because everybody's gotten that much fucking better um and so yes yeah, so there's the point ones then there's the goal ones which is wayne gretzky's 92 goals in a season maurice richard's 50 goals in 50 games so they, basically what they, they're saying there is anybody getting 50 goals in 50 games solani's 76 rookie goals ovechkin's 65 goals and Mike Green, former defenseman of the Washington Capitals, scoring 31 goals. And I believe actually the year he scored 31 goals, he was the second leading goal scorer on Washington. And it might have even been the year Ovechkin scored his 65. Um, and then they have some... Go ahead. I said, I don't... I think you might be right on that one, which is crazy. Yeah. Like, I think it's actually pretty sick that I think in the year that Ovechkin scored the 65 goals, he accounted for, like, 30% of all of Washington's goals. Like, it was crazy. Um, but, I mean, if you're scoring 65 goals, yeah. I mean, how many goals do you really anticipate scoring in a season? So, yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those things. But, anyway. Uh, and the last one are goalie ones. So, Phil Esposito... Um, holds the modern-day shutout. Now, I think it's George Hainsworth actually holds the shutouts in a season. I think he got 22 shutouts for the Montreal Maroons. That's how far it goes back. Um, but the modern NHL record, uh, to my understanding, is Phil Esposito's 15 shutouts with the Chicago Blackhawks. And uh, then kind of an even more modern-day kind of uh, shutout um, version of that record would be Dominic Hasek's 13 shutouts. Now, here's a fun fact for you. I don't know if you know the answer to this question. Do you know who scored the first ever goal on Phil on uh, Tony Esposito in his NHL career? Mm, not a chance that I know that. Stat. All right, so here's the funny story there. Phil Esposito was actually the other goalie on the uh, 1972 Summit Series team for Team Canada. It was him and Ken Dryden. Um, but, and the reason why Phil Esposito was there is Phil Esposito broke into the league and was like a stud. He was kind of like that Jake Allen of that area. He came into the league, had a multi-game shutout streak, not just win streak, but shutout streak to start his career. And it was none other than his big brother, Phil Esposito, who was the first person to score on him in his NHL career. That's a crazy, you know what, it's funny, I should have figured it was something like that which is what makes the stats so interesting. Yeah. For some reason, it didn't dawn on me to go that direction. Right? Like, that's... It's, it's kind of like the first... Uh, who's the first person Brett Favre completed a pass to in the NFL? Well, it, that's Brett Favre. <laughs> oh, was it? Like, he tossed it up and had to catch it himself? He tossed it up and got batted back, and then he caught it. <laughs> so I believe Brett Favre's first completion was to Brett Favre. That's hilarious. I like it. I like that kind of shit. I'm a fan. Um... <laughs> But yeah, no, it's a, so that's kind of a funny one. I mean, imagine that too. It's like, welcome to the bigs, little bro, score. <laughs> <laughs> kind, of like, kind of like his big brother being like, you know what? What you did was impressive, but I'm still the big brother. I'm still the big dog in the yard. And I'm, imagine this too, like brothers having Hall of Fame careers. Like Esposito, I mean, Tony Esposito, I believe, did win the cup with Chicago. Um, and Phil Esposito is one of eight... I mean, until Ovechkin got there recently, would have been one of seven players to score 700 goals or more in a career. Like, imagine that. Alex Ovechkin, the grade eight, is the eighth 
player to accomplish something. Like, how insane an achievement is set. Like, we think about, like, oh, yes, yeah, you know, is he going to break Gretzky's record? Um, there's only seven. Yeah, that is crazy. That that no one that is only eight in NHL history have scored seven hundred goals. It's funny. I would have thought it would have been a lot higher a number than. Vetchkin, Crosby, Howe, Esposito, Gartner, um, Marcel Dion, Brett Hull, and maybe Yarmer Yager. But how, like, how insane is, like, I mean, especially when you hear a name like Mike Gartner, right? Like, the ultimate inconsistency. 30 goals a year, every year, for 20-something years. <laughs> um, hey, you know what, there's nothing wrong with consistency. Fuck. I know I can count on somebody for 30 goals a year, every year. Yeah. At least I know exactly what I'm going to get. Yeah, did there's you? nothing wrong with knowing exactly what you're going to get. And I think here's another crazy stat about Ovechkin's accomplishments. He's now, this I think, if you include this season, like let's say this season got called to, you know, brought to a screeching halt. And they just jumped right into the playoffs. He, I think, is the only player to have played in like three shortened seasons. And in that time has never failed to score at least 30 goals. Always score managing it to 30 goals, but that's just Ovechkin. Yeah. He puts up his numbers consistently, consistently. But it's also crazy that in his career, he's played in three shortened NHL seasons. Like, yeah. That's crazy that there has been all that there's been three shortened seasons already in that what 12 year period. No, we'd be going on better part of 14 or 15 year period. Oh yeah, you're right. Yeah, we'll be about 15 years. And he lost a season, lest we forget. He lost an entire season because of that lockout. He lost his rookie year. He should have started a year before Crosby. Yeah, that's true. He did have that. He did miss that entire year. I mean, I don't really count it as a missed year because he hadn't made his debut yet. So I just but still kind of chalk it up to debuting later. But you're right. He would have played one more full season Fuck. and would have another. 75-ish games in hand right now. Well, probably 82, but you never know. I mean, hard. and imagine that another rookie, even if he had only scored 40 goals that rookie year, that's 740 something he's now at. All of a sudden, that Gretzky number looks that much more attainable. Yeah, you're right. I mean, that lock, that lockout year really did potentially. That could be the thing that saves that record. I mean, at the end of the day. That could be the difference maker. Four seasons. Like, he's lost p games out of his control in the better part of, like, I don't know, man. If you tally that up, let's say over the other three seasons he scores, I don't know, 40 goals. Let's just say that. Just not even per season, but just over those three seasons plus the lost year. Dude, that's 780-something goals, and he only needs to get to 894? He, he, it's like, consider that record done. Yeah, if you give him that rookie year and the, short, the really short season, yeah. I will say conservatively that is 
yeah, you're right. I think you're right about that. It's about 40 goals minimum there. Mm-hmm. He's, that record is done. Yeah. The way that record holds up. Because he's got at least three more years of production in him. Yeah. And that basically means he just needs to produce 30 goals again. You know, what he'd be expected to produce. Yeah. 40 goals a season for three years at that point gives him the record. He's the first to 900. At that point, they're talking about does he stick around to get to the 1,000. But anyway. I know we, can all, we all like to talk about how people slow down. He's got 48 goals in 68 games. He's still producing at two-thirds, like two-thirds of a goal a game. Yeah. I think conservatively 40 goals a game for the next three years is probably going to happen. I, I would say so. I think I I do predict Ovechkin sees 800. I think he gets to 800. I don't know. I mean, 894 is still the better part of 200 goals away. Like that's a that's that that's years. Like that's I I just don't know. Um, but I think he comfort. I think the grade eight gets to eight. I think he comfortably gets to 800 in his career. I figure he would need to play five more seasons to get there. Easily, easily. Puts him to forty-one. Yeah. That's yeah. tough. That is tough, but I think you could. I could see him doing it. Yeah. I mean, especially if he bursts out and has a sixty-goal season or something next year. Like that's the other thing. It's like we taught. Like I hate always. I hate on the TV shows when they're like, "Oh, you know, can he keep up this production?" The answer is yes. Um, like plain and simply, I don't even think there's a fucking debate. I think the crazier thing there is, does he have one of those ridiculous seasons still in his wheelhouse? Does he now that it's within striking distance be like, fuck it, man. I turn it up here. I think he's definitely got at least one more 60 goal or 60 goal season in him. And quite honestly, Been an injured player. Like, he's never really missed a lot of games in his career. Yeah. He's got to be reasonably healthy. Not missing time. I don't see why it's going to start happening now. I don't see the slowdown happening. Fuck yeah. But anyway, so let's get into these. So let's, I think, start with the point ones. So there's the yeah. Bobby Orr, there's the. I'm going to start off with the Nikita Kucherov one because it's the modern day, and then we can kind of examine the ones from yesteryear um, because I just yeah. don't see. Like, I, I, I think had, you know, had you have had a full, you know, finish the season, I don't see a reason why Dreisaitl doesn't even push past that number this year. I don't think you're wrong on that front. I mean, 128 is an achievable mark. It's a high number for sure. Yeah. But it's an achievable mark. It's not too, It's not even two points a game. It's still like one and a half points per game. McDavid scores at that rate. He is, right now, Dreisaitl is on pace at, through 71 games, mm-hmm. 127 points. Yeah. So if he performs the way he has... He gets the, there. For the extra 11 games, he's in the wheelhouse. He's one point short. That really just means he needs to have 
two games that are a little bit better than what he's done to point, and he's going to get there. Yeah, I think that definitely uh, that that one is an achievable mark for sure. Yeah, we I, won't I see that broken. Yeah. In the next, Two years, we're going to see that broken. Absolutely, I think I think you will, especially when you consider these team, these young teams that have these young superstars on them. I mean, I could see McDavid, a healthy Connor McDavid, could put up 150 points in a season. I still think that's within the realm of possibility. Well, and I mean, these two guys, they're signed for a long time together. Yep, there is. No doubt that they're going to be around each other for the next. Mm-hmm. What is McDavid's contract run? He runs. He's got. They're they're together until at least twenty twenty six at this point. Yeah. So do I really think in the next six years one of them is not going to beat that mark? Yeah. I will put that as a very low probability. I think that's happening for sure. Well, and I and think I think you're right to go dry side. I think it's dry side low for McDavid. Well, I think dry side proven to be a little more durable, and I could be wrong on that. Uh, McDavid's had a hard time in his career putting together a full 82 games. Like, that's the one knock I have on McDavid. Like, and it's not even a knock on him. I mean, fuck. How is he... Like, of course he's the most beat up, banged up, checked player in the game. He's the best player in the game. So, but because he can't put up... He can't put together an 82 game... very much see a situation where you know yeah it's Dreisaitl that probably gets it over McDavid because Dreisaitl will get the McDavid edge and um McDavid just isn't going to put up 82 points I mean 82 games no he's not going to get to 82 and I mean not that you're not paying attention to Dreisaitl but you always put your focus on a little bit more emphasis on shutting down the best player locking down the best player so there's always going to be just that little bit more focus on McDavid than there will be on Dreisaitl even if they're on the same line same shift playing together Dreisaitl mm. gets a little bit more open ice space to navigate pardon me who does? Dreisaitl gets just a little bit more open ice space to navigate than McDavid he gets just that little bit longer with the puck on the stick before the defense is trying to corral him well I think to remember is that like McDavid makes his fucking space. Like McDavid does what McDavid wants to fucking do. Like that's that's the reality of it. Connor McDavid does what Connor McDavid wants. Um, but as such, like I mean, if I was tasked with playing against Connor McDavid, if I was an like even if I was a forward, like you don't like why wouldn't you? be roughing him up as much as you... Like, you kind of have to. It's your job. Shut him down. Okay, well, this is how you shut him the fuck down. That's the only thing you can try to do is to rough him up and make him uncomfortable. Absolutely. And, and kind of cross your fingers a little bit for the part, too. Yeah, yeah. He does it. If he, gets, if he gets a stride on you, it's over. Yeah. If that puck bounces just a little bit wrong, it gives him just that ounce of space. <laughs> Yeah. It's done. It's over. See ya. See ya. And yeah. I think that's that's the craziest is it part about it is just this guy's on just a fucking different level. Now if we're gonna change the stat a little bit, the Bobby Orr, hundred and thirty nine points in a season. Let's yeah. take away them for a defenseman caveat on that stat. Okay. Let's say yeah, let's in 
this world, in this time frame, 139 points in a season is the NHL record. Right. Do you, how long do you think that stands up for? Do you think that's untouchable? Yes, I think it gets broken within the next five years. I think I. I think it has to happen. I think it happens easily in the next five, and I'll tell you why. Goalie equipment's been um, kind of brought back down. They've kind of calmed down the rapidly and ever expanding size at which a goalie can take up. Um, the only thing is, is again health and and staying healthy. But other than that. Again, I think McDavid or Dreisaitl could put up the 140, if not 150 points. And as such, it is what it is. And remember, too, I mean, whilst Dreisaitl maybe finishes because of the hard time McDavid is given, it's still a two go hand in hand. If you've got three guys checking McDavid, guess what? It fucking opens it up for uh, Dreisaitl. And that's something I think to consider as well. Yeah, I think you're. I do think that mark does get passed, and I think we're in the 145, 145 points in a season. Kind of feels like 145 to 150 feels like about where we're gonna land. Yeah. Any more than that, and you're approaching on two points a game territory. That's tough for me to say that somebody's gonna average for an entire season. Yeah, that's a very two points a game. Anything in that 160 range just seems untouchable to me because that basically means you're not expecting people to miss time. Yeah. You're not expecting people to really have too many off games because if you have four, if you go on a cold spell for four games, which can easily happen, yeah. Now you're eight points down that you're trying to make up for elsewhere. Mm-hmm. That gets that gets tough. That is tough. That's a hard sell, man. That's, that's a hard that's, sell. That's two games. Yeah. Negative twelve. That to me, that's just too much. I think the new mark will be in the one. Like a lot of, I think McDavid. When it's all said and done, there's always gonna there like. Uh, um, and I think the big thing there kind of becomes a little bit. Every year, it's kind of like Pavel Bure, where his you know career got brought to a screeching halt because of injuries. I don't think we're going to see the same thing with McDavid, but I do see how you end up in a situation where it's like, yeah, you know, what could have been the hundred or two hundred or three hundred career more points that could have been had he been allowed to play eighty-two games? But yeah, I think one hundred and forty points in a season. Is is a pretty like that's a that's a that's an accomplishment and a half in today's NHL. So I don't know. I'm I'm scared. I do see it being. I could see some players that have a chance to make it done, but it, or to get it done. But it, it'll be hard to get to 139 points. It will be tough, but I do think you're. I do think it's, it's with the goalies with the new goaltender equipment. I could see it happening. Yeah. The other thing I question though. Is the NHL going to go the direction of the NBA where superstar players are starting to rest four and five games a season? I'm not opposed to that. Does that eventually slip into hockey culture? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's... Well, I think... I think the thing is this, is the load management thing is bona fide. 
Like it's 100% bona fide. And, um, you know, I, <laughs> it's not that I hate to do this, but it is what I do. I can give you an exact poker analogy for it. Scott Seaver um, was relatively recently, within the last few years, was the number one player on the Global Poker Index, which measures a, a wider range of tournaments than just the WSOP. It doesn't measure every and absolutely every tournament, but it, it has quite a few, like it measures a lot of them. Like, And um, I think right now it's Alex Foxen is the number one ranked um, tournament player, but um, for a while it was Scott Seaver. And whether you know, I don't know if you know who Scott Seaver is or not, or if you're familiar with the name. Uh, the name I'm familiar with, but I'm not a, we certainly know I am no poker expert. Right. Um, but Scott Seaver, interestingly enough, last two years has played a drastically shortened WSOP schedule. Like he barely plays events at the WSOP anymore. And in turn though, has found himself in back-to-back -back years, 2018 and 2019, winning bracelets. He's won bracelets in both of the last two years, and it'd be hard to imagine he doesn't find himself winning one for a third year. Like, it's a Michael Mizraki. This, you know, I'm, I'm sure you've heard of Michael the Grinder Mizraki. Oh, uh, absolutely. But Grinder, only person to win three Poker Players Championships. He won the Poker Players Championship in 2018, was the last time he did it. But even this year, Dutch High Low um, event, I believe. And I think it was a 1500. I won but I think it was the 1500 but still stud high low and grinder played a much uh more like a, a, a played way fewer events this year again and even the year before had played in fewer events he played some but he wasn't playing a full schedule by any means so there is something for that now with that being said um in 2018 Sean Deeb did win player of the year and won two bracelets and played every fucking event. So, I mean, there, but I'm just saying like, there is something to the load management thing in that like, if you can just stay focused and be on your A game and going in there, then yeah, there is something to that. And I think especially in these team sports, you do kind of have to wonder is at a certain point, yeah, do you need McDavid from team success? Do you need McDavid and Dreisaitl each playing 82 games? And I don't think the answer is I don't know if you do. Yeah. I don't think you do. Yeah. I mean, the challenge is I know you want, you're looking to secure the number one seed, but do you need to play them both 182 games or can you sit them each five or six games? Yeah. I mean, it gets into the strategy of do you sit them together then or do you kind of stagger the sitting them to kind of have your one and one, your two best players under at different times and not off at the same time? Yeah, but the NBA model has shown you just hit everybody you want whenever any at all the same game. You just basically throw in the towel on that one. Yeah, to save your best chance at winning the net, the ones that you're playing your whole team on. But I, I do think the only thing I give the NHL credit, like where I say that they have a harder time in something like that as opposed to the NBA, is the NBA there isn't the same level of parity that there is in the NHL. Like in the NHL. The any feasible team, I mean, other than the absolute like bottom dwelling teams, which this year would be like Detroit and Ottawa, other than that, for the most part, most teams are one or two 
three, four wins away from, you know, if they change that differential, they're in the playoffs. Like, lest we forget, most teams just need to go a plus one on their current record, and they're kind of in playoff spots. So there's a lot more parity in the NHL than in the NBA. Like, in the NBA, there are teams where it's like they ain't making the fucking playoffs. And it's known, like, right from the beginning. Like, these eight teams don't have a fucking chance, right? It's also known that these teams are probably going to occupy the top three spots. Um, I think even in the NHL, when you get into the playoff spots, yeah, there might be one or two teams that should finish at the top of the conference, but the six out of those eight spots could feasibly go to anybody. Yeah, I do think I do agree with you there. There's really only maybe four teams to start an NHL season that you're kind of just like, they ain't making it. Yeah. They're not making it. In the NBA, you usually have about 20 teams who you're like, Eight of the sixteen of these twenty will make it. Yeah. Two of them are just gonna. Four of them are just gonna kind of miss out. But the other ten, you can just literally don't even bother checking in on this season because they're gonna be straight trash. Yeah, and not only that, you're gonna have those teams too. As I said, that it's like unlike the NHL, you're gonna have those teams that it's gonna be like, like these two are gonna finish one two in the conference. Like that's just how it's gonna be. Like in the NHL this year, up until recently. Nashville wasn't in a playoff spot. The Nashville fucking Predators, who have long been kind of the measuring stick of consistency in the Western Conference, weren't even in a playoff spot. We're a year removed from them probably being one of the favorites to represent the Western Conference. You know, and that just goes to show you the parity in the NHL. And that's why I don't know if you could give players full games off, but I could see a situation where a Connor McDavid sits out the second period. A Leon Dreisaitl sits out the first period. Like, he just grabs some bench and hangs out. And I could very much see uh, you're up by four going into the third period. Yeah. But I guess the challenge with the NHL is, the way you do your lines and you're trying to do 40 minute shifts, 40 second shifts and quick changes to have everybody going out there purely fresh. Yeah. It gets hard to manage those minutes for the second and third and fourth line if you're basically saying, hey, we're pulling a third of the team. But, I mean. Right, but. Yeah, there's a lot of challenges. There are a lot of challenges, but there's a way to make load management where I just don't think it's as clear cut and as easy as the NBA. The NBA has a distinct, and and MLB, lest we forget baseball, but they're not even, I don't even consider it. Like, it's a very different game structure there. But in terms of hockey, I do kind of, in a sense, and maybe because it's the two sports out of all of the major sports that, you know, in my life I've had any kind of um, proficiency at, um, I do kind of liken it to, you know, when I look at myself and when I look at, you know, that poker tournament, uh, that summer tournament season, it's, it's very much a situation there where, yeah, there's a bit, there's an element of load management, but there's also an element of staying fresh and staying kind of in the game and in the zone. And, you know, it's a tough balancing act, but I think it's it's tough but doable. It's just not as clear cut in my opinion. But somebody will come around and figure out the method to do it. Yeah. And they will make a ton of money. 
you know, not not to sound horribly, you know, full of myself, but it's 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 even like in the poker season, like there are there are games that I mean, because I've logged so many hours, seen so many hands, and played for so long, that yeah, there are certain games in the certain kind of tournament structure that in a way it's like yes it's a little you can kind of get through it a little easier especially at certain stages of a tournament than other games because it's like yeah just the proficiency is so well ingrained that it's like yeah okay you can kind of sleep through certain parts of the tournament in a sense but anyway moving on here um out of the, ne the next point one would have been the lemieux one um i don't think we need to spend much time on this lemieux 160 points in 60 games that's not happening I just don't, that's not fucking happening. That is not probably happening in 82 games, so 60 games is never going to happen. No, you can't put up three points a game in today's NHL over 60 games. It's not happening. No, no, definitely not. It's just not achievable. It's not achievable. It's, it's too far. It's, it's kind of like the old stat that we were talking about last time where... The, the game's different, the way the players play is different, the top-to-bottom talent on the roster is different. It's just not achievable in the modern NHL. Yeah. No. If you get back, even if you get back to the same kind of point outputs that you were getting back in the 70s, the 80s, and 90s, I still think that's going to be spread across the roster too much for one player to come out and have that kind of performance. Well, I, I also think there's got to be something said for the fact that that's, you know, that's one of the all-time you know impressive single season things i'm gonna take that as saying that that gretzky never had a stretch of 160 in 60 so to put it into perspective if it's something that's only been done once by arguably one of the five greatest players to ever play the game yeah it's it's not happening i'm guessing it must have been the first 60 games of the season or any 60-game period. I, I think the thing, the beauty of that record, and I mean, some of these ones, as we get into the goal yeah. ones, I would stretch it. I, I, I want to expand to maybe give some modern players an edge. But let's just take any point, any rolling 60-game period in the NHL to score 160 points in those 60 games isn't happening. Not today. Sorry. Yeah, it's not in the not in the current NHL not in the current NHL world. But at the same time, the reason I think it has to be the first sixty, yeah, is because it's not that much more than Gretzky's two hundred and fifteen points in an NHL season. True. That's basically uh, that's basically what Gretzky was performing at to get. That's true. I think and now, I think the only thing that makes uh, um the only kind of asterisk to um, the Lemieux accomplishment, and this is the only thing I will say about it, it could have been one of the years he was coming back or battling cancer. Uh -huh. And that's what almost makes it so crazy is that it could have been one of those years that he missed, you know, the first part of the season um, because he was fucking battling cancer, comes back, you know, Fresh off of, hey, you don't have cancer anymore. Perfect, I'm heading to the game. Shows up and fucking lights it up. Like, that's the only thing where I'm like, this could be just such an incredible accomplishment because of, you know, the physical battle, the psychological battle of that, all of that, right? 
Yeah, that would be interesting to know if when that did land in his career, was that pre-post? Was yeah. it in the middle of one? Was it like right at the start of a season when he was trying to come back? Mm-hmm. That's what makes Mario Lemieux's career so interesting, is that so many of his seasons would have been impacted by that. Yeah. I mean, he might not have retired in, what was it, 97, had he not had the health issues, right? And then missed five, six seasons there. You know, like, if 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 Lemieux plays those six, you know, those four, five, six seasons that he missed, it's hard to, you know, he gets to 700 goals. Easy. You know, easy 700. He might have pushed for 800. I could, I could see him getting there. It would be, you know, it's another interesting thing is, what does a healthy Mario Lemieux mean for Yarmir Yager? Yeah. For his entire career. Like, if they're healthy, when if Yager plays with a healthy Lemieux his entire career, yeah. what does that do to those stats? I know, both of those guys. Because, I mean, as, you know, there's, there's some people, you know, that, that are Yager fans, there's some people that are Lemieux fans. I mean, both of those guys, like those numbers shoot up drastically if they get to play an entire career healthy with each other. Yeah. They might get to six or seven cups, honestly. Especially pre-lockout. Who the fuck wouldn't take a pay cut to play with those two? You know... Take a pay cut yeah. to play with those two because they can just be like, you know what? Again. Yeah. Like you, like imagine the talent stacked it. But anyway, um, the next one here. So we got the goals um, category here. So we. 92, I don't see it happening. Um, we have the no. Richard 50 and 50. and the, uh, So we have four of them, actually. Or I guess five goal ones. One, two, three, four, five goal ones. So we have Gretzky's 92 goals, Richard's 50 and 50, Solani's 76, Ovechkin's 65, and Green's 31. Of all of them, I'm going to go ahead and say that I think I could see a situation where the right defenseman could get over 31 goals. I could see it. I can see, especially the way that the modern hockey is evolving. Yeah. Where it is becoming a little bit, yeah, you're still, the defenseman doesn't stay quite at home as much as they used to. There's a lot more movement on the ice. Mm -hmm. There's a lot more shift to the offensive defenseman now. I could easily, not easily, because that is still an accomplishment. It's crazy. Yeah. 31 by a defenseman, that green record is, that's beatable. Yeah, I could see I could see a guy getting to maybe 33, 34, somewhere in there. I don't think you're going to see a 50-goal season by a defenseman ever again. I think C- Paul Coffey was the last one to do it, and I don't think we're going to see that. Um, but I think the green one's achievable. I don't know in the, in the modern era. It, it's funny because we talked about this last one, so we don't even need to get into this. I, the Solani one isn't getting broken. I don't see that happening. No. Um... And the Richard, the the Gretzky one, I'm going to safely say, ah, man, be scoring it over a goal a game, over 82 games is tough. I don't see that one getting broken either. 
I would love to see that one get broken. Yeah. Just because that would be insane mm-hmm. to watch somebody score 93 goals in a season to basically score one point, one and a quarter goals a season. I'm going to say, I know that's not quite the right math. One in like 1.15 goals, if you want to be precise. But yeah. That ain't happening. No one is coming out and putting up a one and a quarter goals a season. It's just not happening. Yeah. A game in a season. Not it would be crazy to see, but... Uh, the, but the one thing I will ad- I will kind of make an amendment to, instead of looking at it, because the, fi- the Richard thing was it was 50 goals in his first 50 games. Gretzky, did, I think, broke it by scoring 50 goals in 39 games, and that's not happening. Nobody's scoring 50 goals in 39 games. That's just ridiculous. Um, because that's a hell of a pace to keep even over 39 games. I think it's almost harder to do than scoring 50 and 50. 50 and 39 means you're banking on having hat tricks and multi-goal games many times in that period. And in today's NHL, that's just hard because again, you're going to have a team that's just going to fucking have, that's just going to just buckle down on that one player and make their life hell for 60 minutes. Um, But the 50 and 50, I would like to say, I'd like to, you know, kind of amend it to be what I said, like, any rolling 60 games because I think there was a point in Ovechkin's career where it wasn't the first 50 goals in a season but that he did actually have a stretch or I think he's done it a couple of times where he's had stretches in which he has technically scored 50 goals that is an interesting caveat to add because if we make it a rolling very interesting accomplishment of whether it can be topped or not yeah because I think there was 50 and I think there was also another time where he turned it up the second half of a season and then he would have had a 50 and 50 stretch there too i could be wrong about that but i think ends 50 goals in a rolling 50 game period if a player gets i agree with you i could again i don't again i say i could see it happening i don't think it's an easy accomplishment because 50 goals in a season yeah. It's still an impressive feat. Right. But 50 50, any rolling period, I could see someone like a Stamkos, maybe not a 2020 Ovechkin, but I'm sure he's done it once in his career. It's... If he set his mind to it in his prime, I'm sure he could have done it a couple of times. But that's not what you're aiming for. But I could see the 50 and 50 falling, and then the green 31 by a defenseman. I could see that one falling as well. I'm not going to lie. I could see a 2020 Ovechkin doing it before a 2020 Stamkos. Like, at the end of the day, and I I don't have anything against Steven Stamkos, so please forgive me all of you out there when I say this. Steven Stamkos is going to go down as an elite player for when he played. He is not a generational player. No, he's not a generational. He talent. it didn't get there for him. It just in no. it, you know yeah he had that sixty goal season. I think he had another fifty goal season on top of that. But 
Um, the year, the other year he had 50, I believe Sidney Crosby also had 50 that year, and they tied for the Richard Trophy. So it's, it's a weird thing there. Like, it wasn't like he was clearly ahead of the pack. And um, so Stamkos is in this situation. The one who... I could see him getting greedy with the puck and getting 50 and 50. You're right, and I could see him being like, you know what? Yeah. And I'm just gonna play, and I'm just gonna fire everything I can on the net. Yeah. Uh, you know, someone doing something like that in in a rolling fifty. within a season i could see a situation where a guy got hot and lit the lamp and was like you know what let's my opinion in today's nhl is we've veered away from players getting paid because they've won and more so getting paid because of you know the potential and the prospect of winning and the chance at winning like, we've very much seen that in McDavid, Marner, Tavares, Matthews. You know, we saw this where players have been getting rewarded. And at the in the grand scheme of it, it's like, what have you done for me? Not just lately, but period. Like, what the fuck have you done for me? Yeah, you're, we are in that world now where you're right back previous generations ago. This is really the twenty twenty the two thousands have been the an era of you pay players because you think they're going to win versus before it was you paid players because they had one. Yeah, we really are in that period now where you look at a guy and you think he's a talent. Be the is William Nylander worth what William Nylander is getting? Yeah. Yeah, Willie Nylander has been the biggest winner of an inflated contract situation. Period. Yeah. Fuck that. Like, William Nylander's a winner there. And I mean, if you had to win, do you really think Line A takes Take that course of attack and go, well, I think the Jets are going to win a cup in the next couple of years. I'm Somebody's going to pay me on the back end like I'm... Well, like I mean... Because in a cap era in the cap sport... And there I go fucking playing with my pen and dropping it. Uh, if you play pay players on the front end, you're fucking yourself. where when you have such a tight cap to work within where it's like this is what it pays to be a part of this team either you take it or you don't 
I think the problem is, is that with other teams in a variety of sports kind of ending their championship droughts, you do end up in a situation like the Toronto Maple Leafs where it's like, the second there was more than six teams, you fucking sucked. Like, you haven't won a Stanley Cup since there was more teams than six. Like, that's an alarming thing when you consider that they're an original six team. I don't even... Have they even been to a cup... They, I don't even think they've been to a cup final since there's been more than six teams. You know? And, I mean, we live in a very different economic society today. For a long time, it was... There was the haves and have-nots, right? There was, there was well-off and then there was, you know, have-not. Now, it, with the emergence of the middle class, which is a very different discussion, we don't need to get into that, and the power and prominence and existence of the middle class, it's, it's a situation where, guess what? There's more of them than either of the other two put together. And guess what? You want to follow a winning product. Following a consistently disappointing, losing product, which, by the way, the Leafs aren't a cheap team to like. It gets to you. You're like, wait a second. Toronto's expensive as is, you know, forgetting being a Leaf fan. It's it's a tough sell. Are they the most expensive team to go watch, do you think, in the NHL? I'd imagine they're up there. Winnipeg's up there as well. Yeah. Yo, yeah. In the cap thing, it's just it's a hard situation. And the Leafs, yeah, I think when you look at it per ticket and per all of that, I think they are the most expensive team to follow in the NHL. I'm sure they are. Here's a question for you. Yep. Do you see? And I'll explain why I think this is just not happening anymore. But do you think moving forward we're going to see a run of excellence? And people are going to roll their eyes that when I name the second team that I'm going to say this about, of the Penguins and the Capitals, their insane run of excellence for the last, let's say, 14 years, where any year, if the, either one of those teams had won the Cup, you wouldn't have been surprised in the modern 2020 NHL world? Because I don't. <sighs> it's a tough one. Um, so many things go into that. Like, it's a... It's a it's a stacked and loaded predicament. Like we could almost spend the rest of the hour. Let's come back to that. Let's table that. Try and remember that. But let's table that because we can finish off the episode discussing that. Like that's a good question. That's a fucking solid question. Um, yeah, let's come back to that one. Yeah, we'll come back to that after we talk about the goalies. <laughs> yeah. So I have a personal, I guess, kind of bias and preference here in talking about the goalie ones. Um, you know, it's, it's one of those things. I feel like, uh, Michael Corleone in the Godfather part three, you know, just as I'd gotten away from playing a net, they pulled me back in and, um, like that's the fucked up thing, man. This year in ball hockey, I, I was not supposed to play in net. That was, I did not sign up to play in net. I, and then just fucking bury the day, like the day of our first game is like, Hey, 
what equipment do you need? Come play. And then I ended up getting hooked up with an, with a decent chest protector um, and ended up fucking having to play net all season. But um, let the record show I did not sign up to play net in either ball hockey, spongy. On the first time I signed up to play net this year, honestly, was for the second World Dom we did. That was the first time I, I, I said, yeah, I'll play in net. Um, which is kind of funny because... In a way, when you think about it for World Dom to digress, and for those of you that don't know, we have talked about this show on the podcast. So if this is your first time listening to the Seems Legit podcast, World Domination is this one-day, three-on-three uh, ball hockey tournament, uh, draft-style tournament um, held here um, in one of the uh, um, bigger um, ball hockey leagues. And uh, Nick and I have both played in it now. We've played in the last two events. And uh, I think it's a pretty exciting time. I think it's a pretty exciting day. It's be- You know, there's not... You know, it's it's not a bad way to spend a, fu- a fucking day, in my opinion. It is not a bad way to spend a Sunday, other than by the end of the day, you are exhausted. Yeah. And so sore. Yeah. Because you're playing the game, you get like an hour, hour, hour and a half off, and you got to go back up, so the lactic acid is set in. Yeah. But I've done two of them. We had signed up for a third one, and the only reason we didn't is because it got canceled. Yeah. But otherwise, we would be playing probably world down maybe this weekend or next weekend yeah it's crazy world but down, world down three. yeah so i mean it's a fun time and, and that one i didn't sign up to play net and i refused i was like i'm not playing net for that world down. and and so that i but what i was gonna say is that it's kind of funny because so the first world dom tournament there was other people that played in net other than me but i kind of like to think it was you know what i kind of showed myself that after all these years of not playing in net and and having the flexibility of a 70 year old that it was like you know having sunny in net for waldom actually isn't a bad thing like it's not like your head the imagination i mean you will your team into semifinals semifinals yeah that's what i thought yeah, semifinals Mm-hmm. And didn't you guys go into overtime, or did they end just before overtime? No, I took them to overtime. Remember those two, those like three or four consecutive big glove saves I made? Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I thought it went to overtime. No, yeah, definitely. I remember it now. I was thinking I couldn't remember if it went to overtime or not, but I do remember it getting into golden goal territory. Yeah, it was overtime. And but I remember late in the game we were down and like it was point blank shots and I'd have to snag and I clean snagged out of midair and like every time like I imagine that crowd like as it was like I could hear that like gat like be- the snag I, it felt kind of good because I mean the two of us are still kind of outsiders to the. So it kind of felt good in a way to be like, holy shit, like, Sonny might steal the fucking tournament. One of the guys on the other team, if not two of the guys on the other team, were... ...players within the circles of the group. Yeah. So they were a heavy favorite. Like, everybody was wanting them to win... And it was just like, whoa, wait, like, man, not to, not to lie. If we had won that World Dom, I, I have to say, there's no ifs, ands, or buts I would have gotten MVP for sure. Oh, for sure. <laughs> You're after especially. Yeah. Because by the end, 
these guys didn't have the legs to stay in the game. No. And even the last game, even the bronze medal game, like it was up to me. Like I had to, I kept us in there till the very end, and then we just stopped yeah. being able to do anything. But anyway, we've digressed long enough. So anyway, the, the yeah. goaltending ones um, are the um, Esposito 15 shutouts, which we got into earlier, and then the Hasek 13 shutouts, which was done in, I think, 97. It was one of the years. Did you know, I think it's only three goalies in NHL history have ever won back-to-back Vezina trophies? That is, that is actually stunning to me. That if that's that correct, that only three goalies have ever won a back-to-back Vezna, that astounds me, yeah. actually. Like, I would not have guessed that. Yeah. I would have thought Hunter Wall would have done it a few times. Marty Brodeur would have done it a couple of times. Like, there's so many goalies, even in like the last 20 years, 30 years I can think of. Yeah. Who would have surprised me if they hadn't done it. Well, now here's the crazy thing. Now, I'm not saying that any of these guys didn't win multiple Vesna trophies. Yeah. I'm just saying to win back-to-back, it only fucking happened three times. Wow. Three fucking times did a player ever win... Or, th- sorry, three players have ever done it. I shouldn't say it's only happened three times, but only yeah. three players have done it. Vasilevsky, I mean, what? I mean, that surprised me because I would have named three players in the last thirty years who I would have assumed had done it. Yeah, so we'll get in. I'll tell you who those three are. I'll ruin it for you in a second. I, what makes it interesting this year is that Andre Vasilevsky, people felt because he had become the win leader and whatnot in the season, he might have gotten a second straight Vesna. A lot of people are calling for Connor Hellebuck to get it though. Like they're saying the Jets wouldn't have anything without Hellebuck, and I'm not. I'm not debating that. To me, Hellebuck gets the Vezina this year. Um, but, uh, yeah, so um, to, to kind of play an interesting thing. So if you want to extend it and say three and two, a fourth goalie you could add into that. But let's keep it at back-to-back. Um, wow. Yeah, only three goalies have ever won back-to-back. Two of those goalies have repeated the feat, though. Like, they've won back-to-back on multiple occasions. So the three goalies to ever win back-to-back Vezina trophies are none other than Dominic Hasek. Um, He won back-to-back in 93-94 and 94-95. Then he went on to win three straight um, from the 96-97 season to the 98-99 season. And in that stretch, actually, it's pretty crazy. So... From the 1993-1994 season up until the 2000-2001 season, only three goalies won the the Vezina Trophy. Dominic Hasek, Olaf Kolzig, and Jim Carrey. Here's the crazier thing. Only two teams... Between the years, between the 1993-94 season and the 2000-2001 season had won the Vezina Trophy. Half or five, six times in that stretch, all with the Buffalo Sabres. 
Both Jim Carrey and Olaf Kolzig won it once each, each, but both played for the Washington Capitals when they did it. Wow, that is crazy. I did not realize about the, uh, the Carrey one. Yeah. But, I mean, you always forget about only the goalies as the season, too. Right? And he put up good numbers. He had a 41-win season that year. So, lest we forget. Um, but, anyway, yeah. So, the other two goalies are, of course, Martin Brodeur, the NHL's winning, the all-time winningest goalie. Here's the crazy part. Martin Brodeur didn't win his first Vezina Trophy until he was 30 years old. And um, was done winning Stanley Cups. Martin Broder went on to win the Vezina Trophy and never win the Stanley Cup again. Wow. Yeah. That's another crazy stat. Because I just again would have assumed that when he was in his cup of what in his run of excellence. Yeah. That that's when they were winning it, but I guess Hashik had it on lockdown at that point. Well, he won the cup. He won his first cup in ninety four, ninety five. With New yeah. Jersey, Hasek won it that year. He won his next cup in two, in ninety nine two thousand. Olaf Kolzig won it, and then he won the cup in two thousand and two two thousand and three. Um, won the Vesna Trophy that year, and then went on to never win the Stanley Cup again. Hmm. He never won the Stanley Cup after he won his first. Imagine that. Wasn't there another thing I'd said about Martin Brodeur the other day too? Like something, uh, some kind of statistic like that? He did something and then never went on to win the cup again. Um, we're talking about, I think it was maybe playing 74 games or 76 games in a season. He played like what just absurd number of games played. One oh, season and his 48 goal season. Yeah, his 48 win season. Never won the cup yeah. after that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah you could even trace it back long. further. The day that Do- that Martin Broder started winning Vesna trophies, he never went on to win the Stanley Cup again. And he was a three-time cup winner. Like, imagine that. Um, wow. And the third goalie, can you guess the third goalie? Uh, how long have they been giving out the Vesna for? They've been giving out the, the Vesna trophy since 1926. And our boy George Hainsworth ended up winning the first one, <laughs> which is uh, remember I brought him up earlier. So George Hainsworth uh, won the very first Vezina Trophy, as far as I can see. I'm gonna go with a goalie who probably doesn't even have a Vezina Cup. I doesn't even have a Vezina Trophy, but I'm just gonna go it on a limb and guess. Yeah. And say, for some reason, Grant Fear comes to mind, or Ken, or my. My logical guess would be Ken Dryden, but my actual guess is Grant here. Okay, so I will tell you this much. They, um, Ken Dryden has uh, Vezina trophies. Oh, I know Dryden has multiples. I'm just not sure if he has. Actually... Yeah. Ken Dryden interestingly enough, has never won back-to-back Vezina trophies. Really? Yeah, he won like eight Stanley Cups, but never won back-to-back Vezina trophies. Yeah. 
Um, so much so that he actually even tied for the Vezina in a couple of his years. But anyway. Um, oh, because, I yeah, I think there was a while there where they were giving it to the best goal. No. Yeah, I think they were giving it to the best goaltending tandem for a while there. But anyway. Um, yeah, Ken Dryden never won back-to-back. He, he flip-flopped with Tony Esposito, ironically enough. Um, and Tony Esposito actually won his first vet. Well, I think he came into the league before Ken Dryden, maybe. But Tony Esposito was um, a multi-time Vezina Trophy winner before uh, Ken Dryden actually won his first. Nope, it's it's not Ken Dryden. And uh, to further make things interesting, Grant Fewer has only won one Vezina Trophy his entire career, and that was in 87-88. Yeah, I wasn't sure if Grant Shearer would have won one, but for some reason I thought during that Oilers run of dominance, he might have won consecutive Vezina trophies one season. It would make sense, but when I, I'll read you the list. Actually, no, I shouldn't read you the list because it might give away who the... Do you want to take another guess or do you want me to just tell you who it was? Mm. The name... I've already mentioned the other name that comes to mind right off the hop as being who I think it could be. Okay. But I'm questioning whether he would have done it, but the another name that came to my mind, I mentioned him right off the top of my head when I was listing goalies who I thought in the last 30 years would have had potentially, had the potential to do it, mm-hmm. and that third player was Patrick Waugh. And that is the third one. Yeah. Patrick Waugh actually went on to win three in four years. And the only person that came in the way of him getting more was Ed Belfour, ironically enough. And the years that Belfour won it, he put up unreal numbers. He won it in the 90-91 season, in which he got 43 wins. And he won it again in 92-93, in which, uh, yeah, he put up 41, sorry, in 92-93, and 43 in 90-91. So, um, Patrick Waugh won three in four years. He won the uh, 88-89, 89-90, and then 91-92. Ironically enough, never winning the Vesna Trophy in a cup-winning year. Um, which actually brings us kind of interestingly enough to another goaltending trivia question. Who was the last goalie to win the Vezina trophy in the year in which they won the cup? I'm trying to remember when the Capitals won the cup. It was, it was, it was not actually. So the, I guess it would maybe be Tim Thomas. It is Tim Thomas. It was Tim Thomas in 2011. Tim Thomas cleaned up. He won the Cup, the Conn Smythe, and the Vezina. Yeah. Where, listen to this. I think it's an NHL record save percentage he had. If I'm not mistaken, I think it is. Um, as I look through it, it's the highest save percentage since they've been keeping the stat of any Vezina Trophy winner, including... Um, the beloved Dominic Hasek. Tim Thomas had a 9.38 save percentage in 2010-2011 to go along with a 2.0 goals against average. That is, but that is insane. Like, how crazy is that? 
And I think he actually, I think Tim Thomas holds a couple of distinctions. I think in the 2010s, he actually holds the um, um, the highest save percentage of the decade. And uh, I think he actually holds the record for playoff save percentage and um, regular season save percentage. I could be wrong, but I think he does. Here's another interesting one, though. When Carey Price won the the um, Vesna in 2014-2015, it was also a pretty lights-out year um, for him. 44 wins, a 933 save percentage, and a 196 goals against average. Who is this? Sorry, I missed the name. Carey Price. Carey Price. That's a crazy season, too. That's a crazy one. The only other one that comes to mind is being like up there as well were the Dominic Hasek ones. So when he won his second set of back-to-backs, and actually it's the back leg of it. But let me read these stats to you. So just the goals against and save percentage. So from the first, so he won his first one of those three consecutive in 96-97. So moving from there onward to the last one, he had a 227 goals against average, which is still an unreal number. A 2.09, followed by in that last year he won the Vezina, he had a 187 goals against average. His save percentage across that time frame was 930, 932, and 937. Like, how sick is that? That is craziest like talk about having like just like out of your mind for three straight years yeah like just out of nowhere and a guy who took quite a while to actually find his place in the league he did he didn't win his first Vezina trophy until he was 29 years old yeah he took forever to find his way into the NHL he was all over Boston didn't even really want to commit to him for a while. Chicago, there. remember? Then he had Chicago. He had the Chicago days where his early days was um, yeah. was Hasek. Yeah. Which is crazy, but he just could not find his way. You know, like, that's like I tell people, like, when they say who's the greatest goalie of all time, I'm like, statistically, it's hard to argue against Tim Thomas of the Boston Bruins. Basically won or was a finalist for a trophy every year in which he played. Tim Thomas was like 30 years old when he played his first NHL game. He gives me hope. <laughs> yeah, he didn't really break in at all. Like, and he didn't really even, he broke in, played his first at like 30. And yeah. didn't really become anything until he was like 33 years old. Yeah. Like, that became the man. Yeah. At 33 years old, he just all of a sudden, it just clicked. Yeah. But yeah, it's crazy. Bro Durr, in each one of his four. Vesna Trophy win, um, winning seasons never broke 922. 922 was the highest save percentage Martin Brodeur had in a Vesna Trophy win. Actually, as a matter of fact, you could probably say, statistically, he might have been one of the... Actually, next to Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey was pretty bad. I don't know how the hell he got there. Um, but Brodeur might have been statistically one of the worst um, Vesna Trophy winners. Yeah, in like a golden age of NHL. Like you were right. Holpe's 48-win season was unreal. 
Like, the fact that he won his 48 wins in, like, 60-something games is unreal. But even there, he had a 922. Like, Holby had a good year that year. Like, that was a disappointment that they didn't win the Cup. But, anyway, we've digressed about the goalies, so here we go. So, let's take a look at it. Do you see... Let's... I, I don't think in today's NHL, with how good the scoring, the scores are... You're not seeing 15 shutouts getting broken. Not even 13, in my opinion. No, I don't think 13. I don't even think you get to... What do you think the last time there was double-digit shutouts was in an NHL season? Hmm. I want to say it was somewhere in and around the 09... The, you know, the, 20, the 2009, 2010, 2010, 2011 season. Somewhere in there, I think, might have been the last time a goalie got double digits. Yeah, because I feel like double digits is about where we are as, like, possibly achievable well, now. I think if I looked it up, I think I'm pretty sure that the league leader in shutouts right now um, in the NHL is Marc-Andre Fleury, and I think it's five. Yeah. Like, let's put that into perspective. And he ain't getting five. Like, let's say they bring back the NHL. Like, let's say they can finish up the season somehow. He's not getting five over the course of that. No, not even close. He's not sniffing at five. Like, that's just not fucking happening. You know? I think, yeah, I don't think that's, I do not think that's an achievable record. It's Connor Hellebuck with six. Sorry, it's Connor Hellebuck with six, and then there's three others tied with five. I think there's a convergence between five to seven shutouts. I think that's the sweet spot. I just think that's about all that you can get nowadays. Yeah. Lundqvist had tw- had 11 in 2010-2011. There you go. And that was unreal. That would have been unreal. I don't think anybody's had more than that since then, have they? Nope. There you go. No, that's, 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 the, that's the high water mark. 11. So- really, no one from 2014-2015 appears to have hit double digits. So I think we're kind of at the point where... Modern day NHL double digit shutouts is probably pretty much a thing of the past, mm-hmm. and maybe that's why I'm a little bit spoiled when I'm like, "Oh, you don't have that many shutouts." I think because mm-hmm. I grew up and we watched, we were watching hockey in that era where you know, ten shutouts in a season was kind of like. A star goalie was probably getting pretty close to that mark. Well, Broder was... I think Broder had multiple 9 and 10 shutout seasons. Yeah. Um, Hasek had the 15, and I think he had a few 10 shutout seasons. I mean, let's put it this way. If you're having a 9.37 save percentage, you're getting some shutouts. And a 187 goals against average, you're getting some shutouts in there. Like, their shutouts are happening. Yeah, shutouts are just... They're just going to, you expect them at that point. If you're playing that well and, st- and stopping that much, yeah. you're hitting double digits. Like, to put it into perspective, when Ron Hextall won his one and only uh, Vesna Trophy in 1986-87 with the Philadelphia Flyers. Now, keep in mind, he was the first ever player to win a Conn Smythe on a losing team. So, it was a hell of a year for Ron Hextall. He did have a 902 save percentage. So I want to, I, like, that was something. Um, and only one other goalie in the 80s had a be, had a better save percentage till that point, and that was Bill, um, sorry, Pete Peters uh, with a 903. So he had a 902. 
He had 37 wins, but his goals against average as the Vezina Trophy winner was still 301. Like, the previous year it was John Van Beesbrook, believe it or not, has won a Vezina Trophy. He won an 85-86 with a 333 goals against average. Like, it's... You know, so to put it in perspective, if you're get, if you're finishing the season with a 187 goals against average, you're getting shutouts. Like you're putting up donuts. I mean, that's crazy. The goal scoring numbers and just the way that it was, it just didn't get shutouts at that time as much. Yeah, the but fuck. that is a crazy number. That it was like 301 pulling in a <laughs> Yeah, those fucking 80s. But yeah, it's. It's pretty crazy. All right. Before we go back to that previous point and finish up with that, I want to ask you one thing. I want and and it's it's kind of an interesting one. I don't know how big you are on the goalies in the NHL, but who do you think, from your knowledge of the NHL and hockey and as a sports fan, who do you categorize as probably your best goalie to never win a Vesna trophy? Or who hasn't won one yet, let's say. Because it could be someone present. But you're the person who you think is the best to have never gotten there. Got a quick double check on a couple of guys to see if they're Vesna winners or not, because I want to make sure I'm right when I'm making these when I'm putting out these names. Mm-hmm. There we go. Because one of the guys that immediately comes to mind does have one. The recent one, nonetheless. But was there, I wasn't sure if he won one was Pecorino. Pecorino did finally get one, yeah. Yeah, and I was like, he hadn't won one for a very long time. And he should have. There was years there where he should have gotten it, so he finally ended up getting one. But yes, Pecorino does now have one. Otherwise, he would have been my vote as well, probably. Yeah, Tuca has one. Yeah. One only. Yeah. But that's about all he deserves, in my opinion. That's about all he deserves, but he deserves one. Yeah. It's a tough question, because there's a lot of goalies with one. It comes to your mind of, you think about great goalies from previous eras, and I'm trying to think of one who stands out to me. I can't think of anyone off the top of my head who I think should have one, but doesn't. Mm-hmm. But I know when you name your person, I'm gonna go. Yeah, that's the one. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna name one because and he's a relatively modern era one, and I I think his best days at winning a Vesna are behind him. Ah, uh, oh, you know what? I'll throw one out before you say yours quick. Actually, I do have one that who, who I think gets it. Um, and he just recently retired, Roberto Luongo. <laughs> Yeah, that is surprising one that he did not pull one down. Roberto Luongo. Bobby Lou does not have a Vesna trophy on his resume. Yeah, that is surprising. To me, he's the best to never get one. And it's funny because you just kind of assume. Yeah. Like in my mind, I just assumed he had one. Yeah. It's it's a crazy it's a crazy thing because it's like when would he have gotten it though? Yeah, I mean, his days in Florida, he just wasn't getting the wins. Yeah. And then his days in Vancouver, 
not that his stats weren't great, but his secondary stats, his save percentages, and his go up against average are probably just a little bit too high. Well, let's see. Well, yeah, it's but I think I, I do undoubtedly think he's the best to never get it. His best yeah. opportunities. I mean, in 06-07, he had the 47-win season, but that was when Broder had the 48-win season. Um, however, I believe um, Bobby Lou had... Uh, let's see here. No, he did not have better numbers than um, Broder. Broder, had, he had a 921 save percentage. Broder had a... Oh, he had a slightly better save percentage. No, he did not. Broder had a 922 save percentage and a 228 goals against average for Bobby Lou versus a 218. So no, so even in his best year, Bobby Lou was not the best. Yeah. But in my opinion, when I think about the you know goalies who were good enough to be in the Vesna Trophy conversation and never got there, Bobby Lou has to be up there for me. I would say Bobby Lou is definitely, definitely deserved. Again, I just assumed he would have one. Like, yeah, he's one of those players you assume he has one. Yeah, it's 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 uh, it's a very interesting conundrum. Uh, Fifteen sixteen was Braden Holt. Uh, yeah, so he wasn't. Yeah, I mean, he had a window there. I think. Other than the 47-win season, he had another 40-win season in 2009-2010. But Ryan Miller had a 41-win uh, season and 929 save percentage. Uh, whereas Bobby Lou had a 913 save percentage. So it's an interesting... Yeah. You know, it's it, as great as Bobby Lou was... If someone were to say, like, oh, yeah, Bo you know, Bobby Luaz, why I'd be like, when? When did he get it? 2010-2011 would have probably been his best chance, but he just didn't have the number of games played to get there. 2010-2011, the 211 and 928. Uh, no, because Tim Thomas had the 2.0 and the 938, so he wasn't beating that. Oh, yeah, but I just mean, like, in terms of his stats, you look at his stats, you're like, yeah, that's, like, that's a... That's a borderline one. That's there. Other than the wins being a little bit low, but then Tim Thomas played out of his mind. Actually, ironically enough, Tim Thomas had fewer wins that season. Really? Yeah, but had the better save. That 938 save percentage. 938? Like, that's almost... That's a 9-4. Like, that's ridiculous. And sub-two goals against average. Like, I mean, those two stats alone, you can't go any other direction. Yeah, Bobby Lou only broke... Uh, no, he broke it twice. Sorry, I, I apologize. But, like, yeah, he was a consistent... You got wins with him. Like, he was a winning goalie. But, I mean, but a big part of his career is plagued by the wins he didn't get. Game 7 of the Stanley Cup fucking final. Didn't get there. Like, lest we forget, he had a shutout in Game 6. No, sorry. I apologize. He had the shut. I think it was a shutout in Game Five, and then Boston won six and seven. Yes, he had a chance. He had two that year and didn't get it done. You don't win. You don't win Vezina trophies when you blow two games to win a cup. I'm uh, also surprised Jonathan Quick doesn't have one. Actually, I'm not. Jonathan Quick does not put up good enough um, uh, regular season numbers. 
really is a gold. He is a really a playoff goaltender. But he did have a great 2011-2012 uh, season. Did he? Let's see here. 2011-2012. Oh! Oh! Yeah, the 195 save. 11-12. Who got an 11-12? Let me see that this. With 39 wins and also a sub two goals against average and a 9.30. Yeah, like that's a tough. That one could have gone either way. That one would have gone either direction. That's a good one. That's a good one there. Yeah, 9.28 versus 9.30. 1.97 versus what? 1.95. Yeah, that's a tough one. It probably came down to those wins. And the fact that Henrik Lundqvist was just kind of due for one. That's it. He was kind of like he was due for one. He didn't have as much around him. Yeah. So he probably got it under under those under those points alone. Yeah. Jonathan Quick does have a forty win season under his belt, so that's something interesting. But Jonathan Quick though could have gotten the con Smythe in both years he won the cup though. Like let's be clear about that. And in all honesty, if I have to pick a goalie to start a playoffs with. Jonathan Quick is my number one pick. Period. Yeah, hands down, Jonathan Quick in his in his prime. If you're giving me any goalie, honestly, in NHL history for a postseason, I'm taking Quick. Yeah, hands down, it's not even close. No, because he's just clutch. I don't think he's the best goalie by any stretch of the imagination. Except for when the playoffs start. Except when the playoffs roll around. He fucking lights it up. He has his peak, like his potential, like where he could be on his absolute sharpest is better than anyone. When he got, yeah, when he, when he's at his game, at the top of his game, he is, when it matters too, because yeah, people can be on the top of their game for a long stretch of time, Yeah, but it matters in the playoffs. And he won two cups. Two cups means you're the real deal. Yeah. yeah. The real deal. Didn't they win every road game they played in the second? For, I don't remember which one it was. They, won, they were like undefeated on the road in the playoffs that won in the Cups, so maybe they went off one. It was weird. Yeah, they had, they had a bunch of weird statistics. I know the second Cup run was the first time in NHL history a team had been down 3 nothing in two consecutive series and come back to win. I think it was also the first time a team had played three seven-game series on road to the Stanley Cup and went on to win the Cup. Like, it was... it was Both runs were unreal. Because the, the first run, it was like they steamrolled everybody. I think they had... They had a sweep in the first round. Then, or, no, they lost one game in the first round... They lost two in the second, one in the in the third, combined five games. Like it was unreal. Six games total. Like that's unreal. To go six, six that's unreal. Um, and when you consider the and then the second one though, everyone other than the final, and then the final was a five game series. Like that's crazy in itself too. I mean, imagine me now three nothing twice and winning those series, both fucking times, and then still being like, "Oh, and we have another seven game series coming up. Oh, and we're gonna win that one, 
and we're gonna go on to win the cup like fuck that's a storytelling like that's a that's unreal and he gets to play and live in la on top of all of that lest we forget he plays for the fucking la kings Um, so what was it we were said we were going to come back to? We, oh, I mentioned that thing about will somebody have in the modern NHL with the salary cap constraints, will somebody have a prolonged run of excellence and dominance like we've seen from the Penguins and the Capitals since Ovechkin and Crosby came into the league? Well, I think especially the fucking Penguins. Four cup appearances. Yeah, um, and just the expectation of yeah, of and winning, they, yeah. They, one of them was, you, you would have been like, if either team had won the Stanley Cup, you wouldn't have been surprised. Yeah. Um, yeah, as I was saying, it's a load. I think, for from my perspective, it's a very loaded question because so many things go into, in today's NHL, making a winning team. And that idea of being unselfish, we've already established in the last few years too much of players getting paid before actually winning and i think that's where the issue lies jonathan taves patrick kane drew dowdy Andre kopitar the big guns jonathan quick the big guns of chicago and la respectively were multi-time hey show me the fucking money you know, and I think, go ahead. Yeah, and I think that's hard if you can't sign a 12-year contract anymore like Crosby signed. But in year 12, mm-hmm. his $8.7 million cap hit Yeah. cap hit. No. Yeah, for the 87 cap hit. He signed a market value deal that just became such a... I want to say 120 million. Well, it wasn't Ovechkin. I think Ovechkin was either the first or second to eclipse the 100 mil. Yeah. Like... But it wasn't... Nine and a half a year for Ovechkin, even now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, that's... Me, it's so hard to to imagine anything topping that like i'm i i just i i don't see it i really and truly just don't fucking see it i have a hard i can't see it either i mean you've got toronto playing paying austin matthews 11 11.6 yeah john tavares 11 mitch marner almost 11 yeah you've got three guys on that roster making 11 pretty much 11 million dollars a year yeah and what have they 
what have they actually accomplished yeah. to date? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing. Like, what that's have they true. actually fucking done? What have you done for me yeah. lately, boys? You know, Tavares, zero cups. Matthews, zero cups. Marner, zero cups. Nylander, zero cups. I mean, Panarin, zero cups. Yeah, you got to get all the way down to Doughty at num- tied for number four in cap hit uh. before you have somebody with a cup. And then you got to go all the way down to Johnny Taves and Patrick Kane to find another. And they have three. Yeah. Unless we forget, J- Drew Doughty has two. Oh, and both Kane, uh, sorry, both Taves and Doughty also have two Olympic gold medals each on top of that. Yeah. And many people thought going into 2014 Olympics, Jonathan Taves should have been the captain rather than Sidney Crosby. Yeah, I think that was a pretty popular opinion, and I think it was probably the right choice, but obviously politically it wasn't the direction that was going to be taken. It's Sid the fucking kid. Sid's captain, period. Like, that's yeah. the issue there. Sidney Crosby's always the fucking captain. Sidney Crosby is always your fucking captain. No, like, there was no way he was not going to be the captain. But there was some merit. There was merit to that argument. No, there was merit. I would, have been, I would not have argued with it in the least. I was actually one pushing for, in my mind, going, I don't think he is the captain. Well, I mean, remember in 2014, there was even calls for coach uh, for Joel Quenville to coach Team Canada rather than Mike Babcock. Yeah. Like, we're not that far removed from that. You know? So, I mean... I mean, Taves at one point had three cups before Crosby even had a second. So, and it wasn't looking like Crosby might get to a second and eventual third cup. So, I don't know. It's 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 an interesting thing. Yeah, I don't know if we see prolonged dominance. The only way, and I mean, the Bruins are getting old, right? Like, lest we forget that too. So, I don't know. Unless you see teams wanting to have, like, the Tampa Bay model, the St. Louis model... But there's contingencies there because, yeah, you could say, oh, I'm only paying my players a max of 7 mil. You still have to have players that are worth 7 mil taking that 7 mil for it to be worthwhile. And it's a tough gig. I don't know. I just, I, it's a tough one. I don't, if, if players are willing to take discounts to play with McDavid, maybe, like, that's the only kind of hope of it is if good, like really good players want to take pay cuts and play with McDavid or if McDavid left Edmonton. Yeah. But I would have to leave money on the table elsewhere. I think it requires somebody, it requires either multiple players taking a little bit of a pay cut or one player taking a big haircut. Yeah, like... I have a lot of dominance. It's... I mean... Nationals run though isn't bad. If you look at their stats, it's not bad. They haven't missed the playoffs that many times in the last sixteen years. I think it's three times. Yeah, but I no, mean they, they haven't won a they cup. Don't fall into the, they've got exactly. They don't fall into the category of you expect them to win the cup in all of those years. Yeah, because they were never the true favorite, and they never got it done. 
No. Like that's that to maybe was a true favorite the year of Vegas second the West. Yeah. Yeah, that would probably that would have been the last year Nashville was a favorite, I think a bona fide favorite for the cup. Um yeah, I, I don't I don't, you know, I just I don't know. It's a tough one. It the the thing is this, I think there's a lot of movement that could be made with players. I think there's a lot of teams and players that need to make a decision that, hey, do I want to play on this team or that team? Do I want to stay? Do I want to keep giving hometown discounts? If if Detroit went through an aggressive rebuild, and I mean very aggressive, they could be a team that could do it. Um... Again, I, 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 I have to leave that one as an I don't know because so many things have to go right. But the amazing thing is it's not difficult to make those things go right. It, well, sorry. I shouldn't say that's not difficult. It's possible to make those things go right. Therefore, you can't exactly take it off the table in my opinion. No, you can't take it off the table. But it is just worth acknowledging that this has been like we talked about it last time. This has been a run of those two guys' career that we may not see again for a while because it has been two careers simultaneously starting at the same point yeah. and probably going to end at about the same point of just consistent domination yeah. for 15 Yeah. It's, yeah, it's going to be hard to top that for sure. I, I, I don't see too many ways... Yeah, when I think about it, I don't know. Even Chicago, they were looking pretty unbeatable for a few. And then they, but here's the difference with Chicago: they weren't a contender until they won. Yeah. There was one of those years they won the cup was a lockout shortened season, and since then they, I don't even think they've made the playoffs. So. What? I'm not sure they have, but again, it's like everybody thought Chicago was going to be the new Pittsburgh, Washington. L.A. Nope. L.A. L- was expected to, but nope, they weren't there either. They couldn't prolong it. Yeah, it's a weird, I don't know. I just, I that one, I it, that's a really interesting thing. Like, I don't know. I I just don't, I, I don't know how it could go. I, I, I really do not... Uh, okay, here's a more interesting one, though, which is not hockey-related. It relates to a different sport. Okay. And it's a sport you know way more about than I do. So it's a basketball one. Who do you think gets a champion? another championship first? Kawhi Leonard or LeBron James? That one is really tough. My mind has always been that Kawhi pulls out the next championship because I think his team is better, but I struggle with the LeBron of it all. It's it's a tough one, yeah, because LeBron's LeBron. The, the whole thing, though, is that the interesting thing is Anthony Davis not wanting to commit. 
Like, that's a weird move there by Anthony Davis. Uh, I think we lost Nick there, everyone. Sorry as you heard the phone kind of hanging up there. Uh, nonetheless, um, yeah, I guess I could pick up next episode with that on Nick, uh, with Nick about LeBron and Kawhi. Anyway, I thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Seems Legit Podcast. Uh, if you aren't already doing so, please follow me on both Twitter and Instagram at the dude Sunny D. I hope you've enjoyed this. Um, I've certainly enjoyed Nick being on the show. Uh, thank you so much. And uh, I mean, wow, that was a really kind of crazy ending to this episode. But anyway, thank you so much. Take care and uh, bye-bye for now. Yeah, um, I, as I say, bye-bye for now. Yeah, so um, I'll, I'll have Nick back on the show soon. So quick to end that there myself. I'll have Nick back on the show. Don't worry. Um, but I hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, if you aren't doing so, please follow me on both Twitter and Instagram at the dude Sunny D. Take care and uh, bye-bye for now.